When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel, and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel, Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Hey everybody, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is Doug Maurice of Cleveland.com, and I'm here with my pal Bill Landis. How you doing today, Bill? I'm great. We are here for another fun podcast of talking about football and whatever else comes to mind. We're just two guys who like to have fun and talk a little ball with you, our loyal listeners of the Buckeye Talk podcast. So Bill, do you think the Buckeyes should be wary of the Indiana Hoosiers coming up on Saturday? No. No. I was going to play along with the bit, but then I, I, don't, I can't even do it. Yeah, but here's the deal. <laughs> this is like when, like when, uh, uh, like in the movie, right? That, that the guy is like, there's, it's a terrible thing is happening. You have to say goodbye. And so, like, you're mean on purpose. Yeah. Right? And then, and then the person runs away crying and it breaks a person's heart. Yeah. But you think that was the best thing. So that was for you people. <laughs> It's just a boring old podcast of two chumps in a basement. You'll live. And also, you better freaking keep listening. And I know who's out there. I'll keep listening. Okay. No, do it. So just tell the people do who, don't, who don't know why I'm chatting. It's Doug Lane, Maurice, and Bill Landis from Cleveland.com. Tell them the thing if they, nobody knows. I'm joining the army. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm leaving. It starts with an A, though. It's not the Atlantic. I'm not smart enough for that. Uh, yeah, I'll go into the athletic in two weeks. So, um, we didn't know if, if perhaps Bill's last podcast had already happened. It hasn't. So he's here and he'll be here next week and we'll talk about it more later. And then I'm still going to be here. Oh, I was going to write fake lyrics. I was going to write fake lyrics to a song. Um, cause I was going to sing like, uh, um, near, far, wherever you are. Oh, Landis, the pod will, the pod will go on. Because that's the question. Everybody's like, oh, no, it's not going to die. Yeah, why would it die? It's not going to die. 
might just be me shouting. You could argue it might be better. No. Well, I, I will say, last time we lost somebody, it's not related to that, but the pod went nuts. It, like, might, it, it might be related to that. <laughs> Coincidentally, we really hit our stride. <clears throat> so when we get to that point, we'll work on things, because this is the analogy that I came up with, and see if you think this is apt, Landis. <laughs> I feel like that I am grain alcohol, and I need to be cut with something. Ooh. Because if you just drink me straight, pretty soon you'll be dead. <laughs> but if you have like a nice mix, like a nice, like a sour mix or something like some cranberry juice, maybe some Diet Coke, you put a little ice in it, you can have a refreshing, enjoyable drink. But if you just pound it straight out of the bottle, it is a miserable experience. Yeah, I think that's the perfect analogy, actually. Yeah. But some people like it and hammered off grain alcohol. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Depending how this podcast goes in the future, if you are a grain alcohol person, you might need to drink it while this is going on. <clears throat> so listen, we're not going to only talk about ourselves. We're going to talk about Ohio State. Uh, guess what? I was planning, I had started to plan for the fact that maybe Landis wouldn't be on here, so I set up an interview. I've already done it. Brady Quinn who is calling Saturday's game for Fox, or is it FS1? Fox. Fox. Uh, I interviewed him earlier, and it was really good. He had some very interesting opinions, uh, including one on whether Dwayne Haskins should have been starting for Ohio State a year ago. Hmm. So stay tuned for that. We'll drop that in a little bit later in the podcast. But um, a reminder, Bill Landis. Is Brady Quinn the most handsome person we ever talked to on the phone? I'm trying to think. Who's another really handsome person that I've talked to? Marty, I, Marty Smith. Oh, he is handsome. Did you see his hair? Yeah, it's out of control. I saw it today. He posted a picture on his Instagram of him talking to Dabo Swinney. His hair is out of control. I like it, though. I've never talked to Jimmy Garoppolo, so it might be Brady Quinn. I should make a list of the most handsome people I've ever talked to. You might be on that list, Landis. That's a crappy list. <laughs> so... Uh, at Bill Landis 25 at Doug Maurice. Drop the reviews. We'll get to a couple reviews later, maybe. At uh, at on iTunes, we appreciate that. Um, you can send questions to Buckeye Talk Pod at Gmail, and of course, always tweet at Buckeye Talk Pod on Twitter. So here's what we want to dig in on to start. This is a guy that I just started following on Twitter the other day. He's one of these uh, ESPN analytics numbers guys. His name is Seth Walder, W A L D E R, and so they have a lot of numbers that sort of help try to explain what we're sort of thinking about. And one thing that we, that Bill and I talked about last week in a video, I think, right, was the idea that the Penn State-Ohio State game was not a playoff play-in game. Yep. Why did we think that, Bill, if, pe- if people did not see that? Uh, most of it was like kind of the lame answer of there's so much, so much season, season left. It was, it's, this game's normally played at the end of October. It was played at the beginning or at the end of September. And each it's the fifth game of the season, so just like anything can happen, there's a way to play it into a three way tie, and then you got to figure out the tiebreakers and stuff. So it's just like whoever lost wasn't dead. That was the main point, right? That we just given how things had had unfolded in 2016, when Ohio State lost at Penn State and and made the playoff, we thought the loser wasn't out of it. But also, I think we thought both could make it. Yep, <clears throat> which is part of that because Penn State was fifth in 2016. They needed one other team ahead of, ahead of them to have a loss. And if Penn State had not had the previous weird loss to Pitt, then who did they lose to? They lose to 
who did they lose to after Ohio State? Michigan State. Michigan State. So if they would have not, you know, you like mean, la- you mean last year? No, in 2016, why didn't Penn State go to? Oh, Michigan. Michigan destroyed them. Okay. Yeah. So if they had gotten destroyed by Michigan, which is what they still would have lost a tiebreaker to Ohio State, right? Because it was a three-way tie. But mm. if they had not had the pit loss, that's what really helped keep them out. So if they had yeah. been a one loss, so anyway, that's the scenario we're envisioning: a situation where. The Penn State loser and the Penn State winner of that game, the the loser doesn't lose again and maybe does not make the Big Ten championship game, but they win everything else. And here's the number, and we're going to get into a couple of these ESPN numbers. Here's the number I find very interesting. This is after the game. According to ESPN, if Penn State wins out but fails to win its division, which basically means if, if Ohio State wins out or only suffers one loss – and Ohio State, therefore, has the tiebreak over Penn State in a two-way tie. The Nittany Lions – did you see this tweet? No. The Nittany, Nittany Lions would have a blank percent chance to reach the playoff. Winning out, not winning the division, not going to the Big Ten Championship. So they're 11-1. and one. They are not even in a title game. What is their percent chance to make the playoff, according to ESPN's playoff predictor? 15%. Hold on to your steak sandwich, Landis. <laughs> 53%. What? How? So I don't know how numbers work. Just like I don't know how football works, I don't understand math either. So obviously as you're looking at things, you're oh. you're assuming losses to come. Because that's the one thing. And, and I like getting caught up in playoff talk, but I was more apt to do it a couple years ago. And I, I went down some crazy rabbit holes, I think, in, in 14 about, well, if this team wins out and this team – and it's like, no, no – no, Everybody doesn't win out. There are losses that you don't see coming. So that's just that's just a fact. You may as well count it as a fact. So I don't know if that must be taking that into account one way or the other, but that is very interesting to me because that tells that me is. something about what they think of the Big Ten. Because that's 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 a if the big if Penn State wins out, because that's not a count that's they're saying they're not in the championship game. Right. If they win out but don't make the championship game, you're assuming that there's another Big Ten team in. So that's basically saying a fifty-three percent chance of two Big Ten teams getting in if Penn State wins out. And I think Penn State might win out. I think they might too. They they play Michigan State and Michigan and Wisconsin. Fraud. And uh, Michigan State and Wisconsin are home games for Penn State, and they got to go. They have to go to Michigan. Um, I think they can win all three of those games for sure. And then I, I, I'm not even considering the other one. I don't even know who they play, but I'm just maybe they, they play Iowa, maybe. But if they play Iowa, it'd be in Penn State too. But that's one of those where part of Ohio State's deal in 2016 was they made it as a non-champ because they had so many good wins. Yeah, they had an Oklahoma win. They had a Wisconsin win. On the road. They had a Michigan win. They had a Michigan State win. They had four wins that really mattered. So a loss to Penn State wasn't enough to keep them out, even though – here's the thing I think that takes place, Landis. See if you agree with this. Mm -hmm. If you don't make a championship game, you almost – it almost has to be like you have so many good wins on your resume, it's like you made a championship game. Yeah. That I yeah. think it might be normal to expect a playoff caliber team to have three good wins. If you have four, it's like, well, say Alabama has three good wins during the regular season and their fourth good win is the championship game. If Penn State has wins over 
Wisconsin, Michigan State, Michigan, and then Iowa, right? Maybe Iowa can be a top 25 team. That might be enough that they say, you know what? We don't care if they went, if they didn't get a chance to go beat Wisconsin again. We're putting them in. That's what I think matters. That's why I think Ohio State got in. I'm trying to think, and maybe I'm like, under the, the protocols for the committee, isn't, isn't the conference championship a tiebreaker? Yes. It's not like, it's not a prerequisite to get in. So I think you're right. I think you can view Ohio State ended up not playing the Wisconsin team that Penn State beat in the Big Ten championship in 2016, but it didn't matter because they played an Oklahoma team that was better than that Wisconsin team on the road, the true road game, not in Indianapolis. And they actually beat that Wisconsin team on the road. Yeah. So it was like, all right, well, they didn't play them twice, but, but, Penn State, if we're assuming that Wisconsin's going to be in the Big Ten Championship, Penn State will have had a win over them already. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's interesting, and I think that, inf- that informs a discussion about the Big Ten and Ohio State because I think people are thinking about Ohio State, and, and a little heads up, I talked to Brady Quinn about this. We'll get his opinion on this topic in a few minutes. But, Bill, do you think at all that, that Ohio State fans in particular, but Big Ten fans in general – what is the level of concern over the Big Ten missing the playoff again? Like for me or for for them? Like if you're advising them, is that something that oh, people should be worried about? Like, oh no, no, I, w- I wouldn't be. I think I think there's that's definitely out there. I think we're seeing a, a good deal of it. Um, I I don't think it's out there. I, I don't, and I guess it comes from the fact that Michigan lost. To Notre Dame and Michigan State lost to Arizona State. Neither of those teams have lost since then. Both are ranked again. Both will be ranked in the playoff rankings that count as long as they don't lose. Um, and Wisconsin, I think, is like still like you're going to get to the Big Ten championship game, and Wisconsin's probably going to be a top ten team again, um, and that'll be an important win. So, no, I don't. I don't have any concern that a one or less lost Big Ten champion is going to get left out. Yeah, and I, and depending how it goes, I mean, it's. It's hard to sit here right now and think about Ohio State winning two, losing two more games when they've already beaten TCU and Penn State. And it's like, they're going to lose to Michigan and Michigan State? Or they're going to lose to like Michigan State and somebody weird? You know, it's hard to yeah. even, it's, it's hard to imagine this team, this team doing that. But someday we're going to see a two loss team in. Um, and and again, not to like scoop Brady Quinn, but like one of the things he was talking about in his answer was the idea of like, say Ohio State's undefeated and loses in the Big Ten championship game. Like, would they make it anyway? Like, maybe. Like, if Ohio State is like number two in the country and clearly is just like, they are one of the four best teams. And then you know what? Sometimes you have a bad yeah. game and like Wisconsin's number nine or number 12 or something and you lose. But you know what? They're one of the four best teams. Maybe, yeah. I think I, I still think there's some misconception about how the playoffs made, and in the end, it's the four best teams. Yeah. So, I think you can come to that conclusion if that scenario plays out. Sure. So here's the the other number from Seth Walder again. If you'd like to follow him at Seth W A L D E R, they put this stuff on ESPN and like on the Sports Center stuff too. But then this cuts out the middleman, goes straight to Seth. 2018 playoff predictor chance to make the playoff. Based off right now. Far and away, the two best chances belong to Alabama and Ohio State, both at 75%. Clemson, 56%. Georgia, 52%. Notre Dame, 47%. Oklahoma, 33%. Penn State, 16%. Penn State is the highest of the one-loss teams right now. Hmm. Washington, 14. 
Michigan, eight at one loss, which like keeps alive. I predicted both Ohio State and Michigan to make the playoff. This this is some indication to me that would Michigan potentially be in the same boat as Penn State, which is a win out and you're in conversation. I th- I think we might have – I think that's, that's a scenario to too. I guess you're just assuming that Michigan's going to lose because Michigan has a, the, the better schedule, I think. Yeah. I mean I think part of this predictor is is the percent chance that they think you have of doing what you need to do. Because Michigan goes goes to Wisconsin, goes to Penn State, still plays Michigan State, and obviously plays at Ohio State. Or no, yeah, yes, they the go games to, here, right? Yeah, it sounds wrong on this. Okay, so that's four awesome wins out there for them if they yeah. somehow would get it. Yep. So, um, percent chance to win the title. See if see if how this hits you. All right, I, I didn't make a guess on those last ones because I think we talked about it earlier. Yep. <laughs> Obviously, Alabama on this has a highest percent chance to win the title. Um, if they're at 33%, which, I'll, which is what they are, what percent chance do you think they have Ohio State at, knowing that Alabama is 33? 29. 23. Ooh. The next highest is 14 for Georgia. Clemson 11. <clears throat> Nobody else in double figures. So that... Is a separation in whatever this is. What's Georgia's percentage of making the playoff? 52. So Clemson has Clemson has a slightly higher chance than Georgia to make the playoff in this. 56-52, but they have Georgia with a higher chance to win it all. 14-11. But that, that suggests that they think that even if it's an Alabama-Georgia SEC title game, which it likely, likely will be, that the loser of that can still get in. It does. Yeah. That both they have two SEC teams above fifty percent. Yep. Um, so I mean, the, the thing that's interesting is, is there any scenario, and and what they're talking about with Penn State winning out and having a fifty-two percent chance to get in if they win out. In a world, what if the okay so. No, not everybody's going to win out. But let's say Alabama and Georgia both win out, and they play a SEC championship game of undefeated teams. Mm-hmm. They'd probably be one and two, and I think they'd almost, no matter what, both be in, regardless of the outcome. I think the only way that's not true is if like one of them wins by forty. So, how about the idea that the playoff is two SEC? So if Penn State wins out and Ohio State goes undefeated. Could that be your playoff, legitimately? Two SEC, two Big Ten. That you're putting in the second best team in the SEC and the second best team in the Big Ten ahead of the Big Twelve champ, the Pac twelve champ, and the ACC champ. Uh, I guess it could be, and, and Notre Dame, that looks like it has a pretty friendly schedule the rest of the way. Yep. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it seems tough that that would, that would play out that way. But if it did play out that way, I don't know how. I don't know how you'd avoid it. Like, Just like the because like the ACC is not that good. Like who are the ACC is not that good. The second the second best team in the ACC, I guess, is Miami. Um, and Miami's just okay as a good defense. And then it's like Boston College and North Carolina State. I just it's not, it's not a very good league, and I don't think I watched a little bit of Clemson against Syracuse. So I was not particularly impressed with Clemson. Um, but like Notre Dame could be the ACC team, right? Kind of. They're not going to win the ACC title, but you can spin it that way. I think like undefeated Notre Dame is I think is the thing that would knock that off off track. Because it's just one of those. Clemson could be an or AC- undefeated Oklahoma. 
Well, and, and that's the thing too is is a, a lot of this again. We're assuming people are going to lose, but you're going to have champs of those leagues. But I think it's very possible that the ACC champ. All right, what are Clemson's best wins? I don't know. Compared to Penn State's best wins, or compared to Georgia killing everybody, right? If they're non-champs, what are Oklahoma's best wins? Yeah, TCU. They play Texas. Texas this week. What are what are the best wins? Now the Pac-12 champ. I've been down on the Pac-12. You know, if that Pac-12 champ of of I guess Stanford or Washington are the two most likely right now, Oregon seems like a real team. Right? Would they would they yeah, end they up just, with enough good wins? Oregon just lost to Stanford though, two weeks ago. So I don't know. Like I, I just do. I do think it's possible that when you think about and Clemson's schedule is crappy, and you know we know they had a weird game this past week, but that's a team that has played some games like that in the past. If they're if they're in a situation where they're winning twenty one fourteen every week and squeaking by in a crappy league. We saw them. We saw how the committee treated Florida State as a defending national champ in fourteen, making them the three seed and not being that impressed with them, and they were undefeated. Yeah. But it felt like, well, we've got to put them in the defending national champ. Jameis Winston was back, but they just weren't that impressed. I think there's a scenario where the playoff, I think, is mature enough now, and in good ways and bad. And I think one way in that is mature enough is that people. It's it's established. People, if there's a if there's like a ranking that people think is is wrong at the end, they're not going to be marching in the streets demanding play computers be yeah. involved again. This is it, right? People might argue should it be eight instead of four or whatever, but I don't know that anyone argues that this is the way to do it. So I think that allows them, um, allows them to follow their beliefs without worrying about public perception as much. But the other thing I think, and this is probably a negative, is it's I think we're all at the point where we realize there really is no precedent. Yeah. And what happened the year before or two years ago when there were two teams that had a similar resumes to two teams this year, and this is how they were judged before, so that's how they're going to be judged now, that's not the deal. They're going to do and they're going to rationalize it however they need to rationalize it to get the four best teams in that. And so I think we may be in a place where it's mature enough and it's established that it's weird enough that two SEC and two Big Ten, I think people would accept it. Do you think people would accept it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, people in the Big Ten and people in the SEC would accept it, but everyone else wouldn't. Um, but I, I do agree. I think. I think anyone who pretends that they know for sure what the committee is going to do, particularly at this time of the year, is just crazy. Because I think through four years of this, they've shown that they're not all that predictable. Um, even from the jump when they put Ohio State in at the beginning, I think that was that was that was a sign to everybody trying to get their hands on this that, that it was, it's probably not going to play out the way you think it is. Um, I think it's easier to predict what a computer might spit out than it is to predict what a group of 13 humans are going to come up with. Right. Um, so I think you're right. I think I, th so that's why I don't think the scenario you're, you're painting is ludicrous. I think some people might hear it and think it is, but it's not, I don't think it is at all. I think if you look at the schedules of the teams we're talking about, it's very possible they can play out that way. And it's one of those things like, are they going to, are they going to really jump like Georgia and Penn state as two, one loss, non champs, are they going to get in ahead of undefeated conference champs? No. Probably not, no. But 
if Clemson and Oklahoma and Washington or whatever, I mean, Washington already has a loss, right? Washington lost to Auburn, yeah. And so if Oklahoma and Clemson are undefeated, they're probably in. But if they have a stumble and then you look at their resume and it's like, you know what? Penn State and Georgia each had a stumble, but their stumbles were against the two teams that are clearly in the playoff. And they beat everybody else. And it's not their fault that they're in the same conference as those teams. If Penn State, excuse me, if Ohio State and Alabama were in Oklahoma's conference, Oklahoma would have lost to them too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at Georgia and Penn State with one loss, no conference champion. Well, Georgia will have, have lost to Alabama in the conference championship game. But we're going to see their one loss, no title, and value that as a better resume, as a better team than Clemson and Oklahoma and the Pac-12 champ with their one loss. But we're searching for wins that can stack up to Georgia and Penn State. I think – And the other the other part of that would be in that scenario, and I think you make this point. I don't know if you made it on the podcast, but you definitely made it when you and I have talked about it. It's like – have we have not seen them yet punish a team for losing its conference championship, right? If that's its first loss, right? Like for losing the game that it earned the right to play in, and right? It's only loss that hasn't happened yet, not that I can recall, right? That you you're so good, you got to play an extra game, and now we're going to whack you because you played it and lost it. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's uh, you know so this you your, your head can spin with some of this stuff, but I think the main point I'm trying to make, and we're trying to make, and I think is. I think the Big Ten's in good shape. I think it is, too. I think it is, too. You know what else is in good shape? Not me. Your closet, if you shop at shopohiostate.com. That is the online home of the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble bookstore. I just got a tweet today from someone, a loyal listener, who sent a photo, if I was good at this, I would have brought it up already, who had a photo of their son in a in one of those T-shirts that is like a caricature of Brutus. It's like Brutus's body. It's like a cartoon drawing. So cute. Just a nice, great T-shirt. They got it at ShopOhioState.com. And why did they do that? Because you can get everything at ShopOhioState.com. I, my belief, and I haven't tested this, but as far as I can tell, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are Ohio State fans. It's Anthony Ewald. Anthony underscore Ewald. Thanks again, ShopOhioState.com and Buckeye Talk Pod. He loves it. Look at that kid. How happy is this kid? He looks pretty happy. Yeah. And and uh, Anthony asked, will this help, Doug? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, it will. Every time you patronize one of our sponsors, uh, it, it makes us – have value for those sponsors. So thanks to you guys for doing that. But don't don't just do it for us. Thank you for doing it for us. But do it for yourself. Should go, so go to shopohiostate.com right now. 25% off a school spirit item if you download their app. People love to download the app. It makes it easy. It's convenient. You just page through there. If you need textbooks, like if you're like an adult who just enjoys reading college textbooks <laughs> because you want to improve yourself and, and test your brain, you can do that. Or, if not, you can just buy clothes. Men's, women's, youth, infant and toddlers, kids. So much stuff. I'm looking at kids right now. We've got the youth, the youth Nike, pom-pom beanie. Um, you know, it's it's just a lot of different um, types of things, whether it's summery stuff, fall stuff, winter stuff, shirts, scarves, hats, gloves, anything you need. It's that time of year. The seasons are changing. You might need to update the wardrobe. 
Get the J America Sportswear Premium Crew. It's just the solid gray shirt with the big old scarlet block. Oh, what looks better than that? Make sure you get this stuff in your wardrobe. Make sure you get it from shopohiostate.com. All right. The AP ballot is staying at cleveland.com. Yeah. It is a ballot that I voted, you voted, I'm going to vote again because we sort of feel like it's the cleveland.com ballot. So I will be taking over starting this week, back to voting again. And as I tweeted this uh, today, I said, um, so excited to be back voting in a poll right in the midst of this ludicrous, insane discussion that somehow has cropped up this year about whether the AP poll should be done away with. Joel Klatt at Fox Sports kind of kicked this off. He thinks it should be gone. He went on Ralph Russo's podcast. Ralph Russo is the esteemed college football writer for the Associated Press. They debated that. SI.com, I think, appears to maybe be doing a pro and con thing. The con was up today, why it should be done away with. You, before we started, said you had an opinion on this topic, right? No, no, no. We had a question about it, and I asked you if you wanted to rant about no, it. No, no, I thought you said you want to rant. No, no, I asked if you wanted to. No, no, I was yes. excited because you were going to rant this rant, time. I don't rant on anything. No, 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 but I want you to get a rant in before you go. Do you have a rant? Do you have a rant on this? Or do you think that it's obsolete just, and should be done away no, with? No, I, I, don't, I don't have a rant about it. I just think, like, the conversation's stupid. Yeah, no, that's my rant, though. <laughs> my rant is that it's stupid to rant about because... Like, there's not... There's, and, I'm, and you know this because you did it and you're going to do it again. Like, it's a pain in the butt putting that thing together. Yeah. But I think it serves a purpose. I think it's fun for conversation. I think it's fun to, like, figure things out before the season starts. I get what everybody says about limited body of work when you're trying to rank teams, and it's true, but it's still fun. And as long as you don't take it too seriously, it can remain fun. So stop taking it so seriously. Do you know, Do you have the question yeah. that the person asked? I do. It's from, uh, it's from Nuck Butts. Is this the thread? Uh, no, this is just a response to okay. your, call, your call for questions. Okay. He says, uh, explain how the AP voting has no bearing on the perception of teams as the season progresses. He says, I agree that the midseason AP poll is inconsequential, but the preseason poll absolutely has an impact on the season. Think about how Miami – or think about Miami and Michigan this year and how they impacted others. Okay. Here's the thing. Number one is the committee doesn't care. Okay. That's a big number one. That's basically all, all yeah. there is. Yeah. And And – you can try to claim, well, they say they don't care, but it influences this or whatever. Like, and, and here's what I would say to that. And I think there maybe would be a scientific term for this. But I think it's a, again, it's a basic misread of really a, a misread of reality by people who would say that the Big Ten poll affects perception because I think this is all it does. I think the big 10 poll reflects perception. And here's what I mean by that. If your claim is that right now it's September, right? It's October. Technically. I almost said the F word. I never <laughs> know what day or month or year it is. Is it 2018? It is 2018. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and here, I, see, this is a, a bit of a fine point. You know what? I was going to say this is a bit of a fine point. I think it's actually not a fine point. I think when I say this, it might slap you in the side of the head and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I like when that happens. Right now, the poll is Ohio State, Georgia. No, it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, right? Yep. If we did not have a poll, there was no poll anywhere. And by the way, if you want to do with do away with the AP poll, then people are just going to – everyone else is going to have their own power poll or ESPN is going to have a power poll yeah. or somebody's going to flood the marketplace with their own version of a poll that becomes the go-to poll for discussions because that's how the marketplace works. Here's – this is now a side tangent to my tangent. The marketplace demands a college football poll. And if you don't want a poll – you're a communist. It's <laughs> capitalism. The market demands a poll. And you're, you as the state are going to decree there will be no polls. We shall treat all 130 teams equally every week until the committee says so. That's communism. Take it back to Venezuela. <laughs> and you know it's true. Here's the other thing. No poll right now. So we're just talking about, hey, Bill, let's not put a number on it, but who do you think the best teams in college football are? Who would you say? Now, uh, mind you, Indiana's 4-1. and one. They have the same record as Penn State. We don't have a poll to go by, so I'm just going to go by records. Indiana is as good as Penn State. Is that the conversation <laughs> we would be having right now? Probably. No. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say that it's Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And, like, I guess you could quibble with Clemson based off who they played. But you would get those four teams. If you asked 100 people, 95 of them would say those four teams. So the poll is not affecting perception. It's just ranking. It's putting a number to what everyone already thinks. And when we talk about Urban Meyer's record against top 10 teams, we talk about Ohio State's record against ranked teams, or ABC in their commercial wants to put numbers in front of the team's name, yep. why, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of the fact that if in September there's a nine in front of Penn State's name, that Condoleezza Rice in December is going to be like, well, I think I saw, and I know she's not on the committee. I always like to say her name, though. It's a good name. She's going to say, well, I, on my own, was going to evaluate the top four teams, but I, my perception can't shake the idea that I saw nine in front of Penn State's name in September. <laughs> You're, if yeah. you think, I'm just telling you straight facts and I'm not writing it because nobody cares. If you think the AP poll affects perception, you don't understand how this discussion works. This discussion, everybody has groupthink. It's not like if there was no poll, people would be like, you know what? Who's a, who's a ranked team? Who's a ranked team that's undefeated? That, West Virginia. Do you think if there was no poll, people would honestly be saying, you know what? I think West Virginia is better than Alabama. Do no. you honestly think that? No. And if you did honestly think it, do you think the fact that there is a poll will prevent the committee from putting the, the that will prevent the committee from putting undefeated West Virginia in the playoff later? No. 
It bothered me when the AP poll did matter because all AP voters are freaking idiots, including you and including me. <laughs> now, we're less of an idiot than most other people. They're idiots. They're groupthink nincompoops who couldn't have an original thought if you shoved it down their throat. But it doesn't matter anymore. And here's the other thing, and here's five other things about it, because if you still believe what you think, you're wrong. Point number 11 of why you're wrong. The AP poll has changed since the advent of the playoff. So guess what? The AP poll does not affect the committee. The committee has affected the AP poll. Because you know what's happening now? Everybody's voting like I voted eight years ago. Not, Not enough people are, but more are. They are rewarding teams with the best resumes and the best teams. They're not getting caught up in, in preconceived notions and all this bull crap. And the people in that room are too smart to go by, what, 60 idiotic sports writers who are sleep-deprived and just trying to go to their kid's soccer game on Sunday and put 15 minutes worth of thought into their ballot. They don't go by that. Here's the other thing. It doesn't matter, and it's fun. So if you don't like ice cream... Should we do away with ice cream? <laughs> What's the difference? If you don't like... We'd be healthier as a country. I had some caramel pecan pie. <laughs> it was the flavor of the week the other night. But my favorite ice cream place. Delicious. Sounds Sweet. Good. Tasted like pie on a cone. <laughs> and you want to deny me pie on a cone because you can't handle... 25 teams ranked with the number in front of them? If you don't like the poll, this applies to everything. If you don't like it, ignore it. If you don't want sweet caramel pecan pie ice cream, then stay home and eat an apple. If you don't want the AP poll, then stay home, watch Grey's Anatomy, and don't worry. When the the commercial comes up on ABC and there are numbers in front of the team's name, put your hand over the numbers. (laughs) And then you can have your perception-free game of good team versus good team. Who's better? I don't know. Why don't we all just enjoy the games and see what happens in December? In Paraguay, wherever frickin' communist country you want to go to, where they don't even have American football. God, why do people have to ruin all the fun stuff? That's what they do. Hey, do you think Alabama should be number one? You know what? I am actually thinking of changing the way I vote. Because <laughs> oh. um, I've was, i been so caught up in resume, 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 resume. I don't believe in hypothetical games. If you just vote on who has the best resume, in the end, that's what you go by anyway. Yeah. So if my ballot looks weird in September, it's because I'm being true and honest to myself all the way through. But I'll tell you what, by December, all our ballots are going to look the same. Yep. And if Alabama's 13-0, I'm going to be there. But if their first six games are against easy opponents and other people had harder opponents early, so they're ahead of Alabama for now, Alabama will catch up when they play good teams. Alabama beating everyone by 70 has me reconsidering that line of thinking to a degree. Yeah, that happened to me too. Somebody made a comment to me with my ballot this week said like I changed the way changed the way that I voted because I tried to basically mimic what you did. So I thought that was the right way to do it, but it's just just hard when Alabama destroys everybody but hasn't yet played a good team. And then like you try not to project but it's kind of hard to avoid it too. And you're just like, well Alabama played Georgia, I think they'd win. If Alabama played Ohio State, I think they'd win. Right. It makes it hard. Yeah. 
So I think it's I think I'm gonna leave um I mean I left no room for that in the past. Yeah. You know, I'm the guy who had Houston number two in the country in week number one and Kevin Sumlin was a Houston coach and he was like, Who's the why is he voting as number two? We don't deserve that. <laughs> um and, and I've I've had a lot of arguments from people along the way that it's like, well, you're not you're trying to not go on perception, but your resume voting is based on your perception of how good the teams are that they beat. Yeah. So you early on you can't get rid of perception because there's not enough data, right? And there's not enough evidence, which is what some people would say is why there shouldn't be a poll. And then I would say, why do you hate ice cream? So that's the that's the thing of, I think there's room. I think maybe and I think maybe there's more room for your ballot to evolve. That in the first six weeks. I'm kind of voting on eye test. But once everybody starts to have resumes that are comparable, then I maybe revert to who'd you beat? What yeah. did you look like when you beat them? Because yeah. then everybody's going to have some good wins. I think, that's, I think that's fair. But also it doesn't matter. Now I just ranted for 40 minutes about a thing that nobody – like do you care? I hope – did you? Did people care about that? I don't know. I can't <laughs> figure out – I think some do for sure. A lot of people in the media care about it. Yeah. But I do, but 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 there are a lot of fans that get riled up. There are a lot of fans. Someone sent me a. Many nine. Ohio State fans were upset that Alabama is getting first, getting all I think, but two of the first place votes because they haven't played anybody, which is fair. They haven't played anybody. But what are you supposed to do with a team that wins every game by sixty? And it's one of those things. Like back in the day when like the AP poll determined the national champion, you know, and the, and like teams weren't going to play each other, and it was going to be all on perception. At the end of the year, it was all on perception. You could worry what things were like in October because these very people were determining the future of your team. Now they're not. They're just not. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Ignore us. We're stupid. Don't worry about what we think. It's just for fun. I am curious to see what the playoff committee is going to do with Alabama because I don't. I, I when's the first playoff poll come out? It's the last week of October. Okay. I think that's right. I think it's before Alabama plays LSU. And if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But before that, Alabama doesn't play anybody. Okay. It's that they're undefeated right right now, and they play at Arkansas, home against Missouri, at Tennessee, then a bye, and then they play at LSU. The bye is the last week of an, a weekend of October, which I think is when the playoff poll comes out. Okay. I think they're going to go by eye test with Alabama. Yeah. And as long as, as long as they keep doing what they're doing, I think it's justifiable. It'll yeah. just be interesting. I don't know. Because I feel like by now, Alabama has played at least one ranked team. Like an Ole Miss or something like that. But an Ole Miss was better than it is now. And they had, yeah. Maybe in their first game, like it was against a Louisville team that nobody thought was good. They didn't have that sneaky, everyone thinks our opponent's good, but they're actually not kind of game. Right. Um, hey, do you want to do – someone – did you see the recruiting question? Did you Did you mark that? The one about Zach Harrison? Yeah. Yeah. Let's give people our, our little recruiting duck in because we'd said we wanted to try to hit recruiting in every podcast. We'll mm-hmm. do recruiting. We'll go to Brady Quinn, and then we'll come back with all of your questions. But let's dip into Zach Harrison first. Well, I think uh, – have we talked about Jamison Williams? Oh, no. I don't think we have because it so, happened – It happened on Friday, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, answer the Zach Harrison question first. I got to find it. Because he's – all right. I'll look for Zach Harrison. You would talk about James, James Williamson then. So Ohio State got a commitment last Friday <clears throat> from a four-star receiver from St. Louis named Jamison Williams. I'm going to call him Jameis Winston for sure. Yeah. Jamison Williams is his name. Um, he is a borderline top 100 player, and he's, he's like he's six two-ish, um, and he runs really well. I saw him at the opening, and I thought he was really impressive. Um, definitely a guy who can take a top off a of defense. Um, definitely like a guy you see Ohio State doing a lot of bubble screen stuff this year. 
He's not built like an H-back, but he is super fast, and I think he can do that too. Um, but he's another guy. Like they got Chris Olave in this class who's a track guy who reminds me of Devin Smith. I think Jamison Williams could be that. Maybe the ball skills aren't quite quite the same, but he he can be the guy who can who can run like a Devin Smith. Um, and it was an interesting recruitment because he had been recruited by Zach Smith for a long time. And it didn't seem like his standing with Ohio State changed all that much, but Brian Hartline had to take over the recruitment and and seal the deal, I guess. Um, kept them from going to – it was like Alabama was in the mix and Oregon and UCLA and Nebraska were his top – other teams in his top five. And Brian Hartline helped close the recruitment for a receiver that I think they really needed in this class because they're going to lose a lot after this year. So they have Garrett Wilson, and then they have Jamison Williams. I think they'll take at least one more, maybe two more. Um, but a start that is Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams is really good. Can I detour before we get to Zach Harrison? Mm-hmm. We've we've had a lot of discussions on this podcast about the Ohio State receivers. We talked a lot in the preseason about Phil Steele's, I think, had him ranked third in the country. Yeah. And I certainly question that. It's been basically the same group of guy for three years. Um, they look more like playmakers this year. I think that's in large part because Dwayne Haskins is giving them a chance to look like playmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also older, and they everybody, I think, has improved. There was a time during the game on Saturday <laughs> night uh, when Paris Campbell dropped one early, uh, dropped the screen early on the first drive, I think, and K.J. Hill dropped the slant. I think that might have been on third down, and they weren't looking so playmakery. Yeah. Uh, when I was seeing things in my timeline about, okay, this group of receivers, here we go. Um, what do you think the future of Ohio State receivers is like compared to the present? When you look at the guys yeah. who two years from now will be relied upon. I think it's strong. I think you can make the argument that, it, that it'll be it'll be better than it is now with some of the guys are bringing in. You're talking about like Jalen Harris will be in the mix. Garrett Wilson will be in the mix. I think Jamison Williams will be. Um, Cameron Babb, who's hurt this year, who was like a top 60 player nationally. Blue Smith, who's an athletic freak. I don't know what he's going to be yet, but he's at least intriguing from a physical profile. Um, I don't see a Paris Campbell yet. And I don't see a KJ Hill, like guys out of the slot who I know are going to be deadly. Maybe Jalen Gill. Yeah, maybe Jalen Gill. He can be that. He was, he was more of a running back in high school, but I think if you put the ball in his hands on a bubble screen like you do with Paris Campbell, he can do what he do, what Paris does. Um, but the outside guys in particular are, are like look really strong to me. And I, I think I think these guys this year are setting a good foundation, and because of that, they're going to be gone. Even some of the non-seniors are going to be gone after this year. Um but I think the position is is pretty strong moving forward. Who's the Purdue guy? Rondale. Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore, who yeah. was looked at by Ohio State. I think yes. I don't. Know, I don't know if he ever got offered. Um, I'm had a committable offer. Definitely will not be the only one. But looking forward to sort of asking Urban Meyer uh, that Purdue week because it's something I think we've talked about and written about before. Is like where like they just. Where's that small guy? Where's that little fast guy that maybe it was like a Dontre Wilson type here? It could be still Demario, maybe, but it's like where's just that little? Yeah, they're recruiting a guy in this class named Wandale Robinson. It's kind of a similar name, Rondale Moore and Wandale Robinson. Who's he? Wandale Robinson's like five nine. He's from Kentucky. He's listed as an all-purpose back, but they're recruiting him as an H back, and I think he can be that kind of guy. He's not a. He's a three-star prospect still, I think. So he's not. I think Rondale Moore was was four-star and. At least top two hundred, um, so he's not quite that profile, but I think he's that kind of player you're talking about. So I, I did a he's video. He's officially visiting this weekend. Too. He is. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. I did a video about this, um, about how all the receivers are basically the same size. Like Ben Victor's the big guy; he's different. 
Demario's the little guy. He doesn't play. He's different, but basically size wise and, and to some degree, skill set wise, you know, Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin and KJ Hill and Austin Mack are all very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like more variety. It reminds me a little bit of when Thad Mana just recruited a bunch of long wings and it was like, like, where's your point guard? Where's your sh- shooter? It's like, I get you want a bunch of like six, seven guys who can like defend and get to the hole, but it's like everybody on your team is the same. Yeah. So at some point, I just think if you have eight guys in a receiver room, I don't want eight guys the same. I want four guys who are like this and then two who are little and two who are big. And so I, maybe it's a nitpick, but I don't know that anybody else on this roster could have made the Ben Victor catch just because it was high. <laughs> yeah, I think the only other one who's is Jalen Harris maybe. And And so, you know, the things that Kate – like how big is K.J. Hamler, the Penn State guy? 5'10", I think. Okay. So I'm not saying that Ohio State doesn't have a guy who could do what he did, but he turned a slant into a 93-yard touchdown the other day. And he's little, and it's just a little bit of a different matchup when a guy's little, and you just hit him, and he's gone. And Purdue has that guy, and Penn State has that guy, and TCU had that guy, and I don't think Ohio State has that guy. Now, Paris Campbell's really fast. But Paris Campbell is sort of like a bigger guy. You've got to hit him on a bubble. You're not usually hitting him on a slant. Yeah. In like in between coverage, boom, here's a little matchup. You know, and that's is did, did I begin this whole conversation to steer it back towards DeMario McCall? Yeah. yeah. You're <laughs> damn right I did. They've got him and they don't play him. Hey. <laughs> let's do the Zach Harrison question, then we'll get to Brady Quinn. From Clayton W. Kindred. At CW Kindred. Any word on Zach Harrison? Does this recruiting class feel a little weird to you? As in they've gone after some people they might not have normally. Also, did DeMario have any snaps at Penn State? And is Okuda returning kickoffs? Uh, that got off the, got off on a tangent there at the end. The last two answers are no. Okay. What, what, are they going to get Zach Harrison? Zach Harrison was at Penn State, right? He was at Penn State. I saw him in my, in my binoculars from the press box. Um, I don't know. I always think it's interesting. I'm not. I'm never one who thinks that like one game can have an impact on a recruitment. But it probably wouldn't have been great for Ohio State if they went and lost in front of Zach Harrison. Certainly better. I think that they won. How much that matters? Maybe not a ton. I just don't think Zach cares about that. Um, I don't know. Like I'm not going to pretend to have any inside information about Zach Harrison. I've thought all along that he's going to end up at Ohio State, and I still think that. I don't have any reason to be shaken from that at all. Um, I'm a little surprised it's taken this long. Um, but I don't think Penn state is still really not the one that would scare me. I think it's more Michigan, but I think he's going to end up at Ohio state. Like it's just the hunch. It's not, it's not any, I don't know anything that anybody else knows. Anybody else doesn't know. I just think he's going to end up coming to Ohio state unless like Larry Johnson retires, which I don't think is going to happen. Larry Johnson sporting that bald dome and interviews tonight. Does not look like he's in his mid sixties. He looks he's like not. he's an MMA fighter in his forties, ready to come yeah. beat me up. So he's so nice, though. I don't think he would beat me up. Here's the differentiation: I don't think Larry Johnson would beat me up. I think he could he beat me could. up. He's a he's a karate master. He teaches it to his players. Yeah, yeah. What was he? A second part of the question? Oh, the class is the, the class, class is weird. weird? Yeah, it is. Like there's a, there's a lot of three stars. I feel like they're being more selective. And I don't know what the 
main reason behind that is I th- I think it's because the, this class as a whole across the country, across positions, is just not as good as it's been the last two or three years and is not as good as it is in 2020. So uh, I think you could just like, oh, we're just going to go get four stars and five stars because they're four stars and five stars and we're Ohio State and that's what we do. But I think with how good their class has been in 2017 and 18 and how good it's shaping up to be in 2020, I think they can afford to like not just go after four and five stars for the sake of doing it if there's like any red flags personally or, or player development-wise that they might see. Um, I just think they're being a little more selective this year. And maybe that'll come back to bite them. I think, I think they're going to be okay because of what's been recruited around them. But it is different. It's definitely different. There's more... There's more three-star guys and like more guys like kind of out of left field. Like, hmm, that's a weird guy for them to take. Are they Ohio guys? The weird guys? Not yet. There's like a couple from one from couple from Indiana, one from Maryland. Uh, yeah, no, but they are. It does seem like now they just offered Tommy Eichenberg, who's a linebacker from Saint Ignatius. Is that um, Liam Eichenberg's brother? I, unless there's another Eichenberg family. The, it's a different Eichenberg yeah. branch. No, probably is. I'm assuming it's Liam's uh, little brother. They offered an uh, uh, offensive lineman from Strongsville. I forget his J J D Duplain, I think is his name, uh, who's committed to Michigan State, but they offered him this week. So it does feel a little bit like they're turning back toward Ohio, but there's something they do every year. Yeah, They like with these seniors to watch them play their first few weeks of the high school season, and we're halfway through the high school season already. So it's not surprising to see them do that. I just think you might see them take a few more of those guys this year. Good. Because they have 15 commits right now. I assume every year they'll take 25. Um, and there aren't a lot of high-profile guys like still out there. that they're, that they're Like Zach Harrison is the, is the number one guy. And Darnell Wright's a five-star offensive tackle from West Virginia, who I think they'd like to have. I don't know if they'll get him or not. But there's not... Some years I feel like there's like eight or nine of those guys, five stars that Ohio State's going to stay in late and try to get them, and I don't feel that this year. I think there's maybe like three or four, hmm. and the rest you could see them fill with you know local guys, in-state guys. Let's go do Brady Quinn. Also an in-state guy. In-state guy that they did not get. He's calling uh, the Ohio State game on Saturday with Aaron Goldsmith. And uh, Bruce Feldman is on the sideline for that. That is a Fox game, a 4 o'clock start. It is homecoming for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, And so I talked to Brady Quinn. We talked uh, mostly big picture stuff. I'm always curious when we get these national guys. I feel like we know Ohio State pretty well. Um, Maybe you disagree. But (laughs) I like the context. I like the context. So we talked a lot of context with Brady Quinn, who will be doing the game on Saturday. So... We'll talk to Brady, then we'll come back with more of your questions and a few of our answers here on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined by Brady Quinn, who's doing the Ohio State-Indiana uh, game this week. Brady, thanks for taking time out of your day. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Excited about uh, calling a Buckeyes game. Obviously, fun to get back to Columbus, Ohio, where I was born and raised. So, so let me ask you this, Brady. I like having guys like you on because um, you have this national perspective, right? You're not only digging in on just Ohio State every week, like a lot of people around here. When you think about college football right now, Brady, who is in the top tier to you? And maybe I'm not just thinking about the teams this year. Maybe I'm talking more programs overall. Do you th- Is Alabama in a, in a tier by itself to you, or are there some other teams there? And then where would you say Ohio State falls right now? 
Yeah, I would say there's there's maybe three tiers, maybe four if you want to fragment it even more. But I'm serious, obviously, Alabama, Iowa State, Clemson, Georgia. You know, those four schools typically are always at the top of the recruiting rankings. They're, they're you know, four of the most competitive teams year in, year out, uh, and it consistently have the most talent, um, the most players going to the NFL. So I, I would put that group up in the top tier. You know, below that, you get your other teams who are really good college football teams, maybe not quite as much talent, not quite as good in the recruiting realm, but but great coaches, uh, good quarterback play, stingy, stingy defenses, and that's where you know, a team like Washington kind of comes to mind off the top of my head, um, or some of the teams that are competitive in the SEC, um, like LSU, who is one of the top teams this year, but maybe traditionally hasn't been as consistent being there, uh, but they're always dangerous. Um, you can go to TCU in the Big 12 and, and Oklahoma, which – you know, maybe I put Oklahoma in the top tier along with Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. I probably should. Uh, I just think there's a different perspective on Big 12 teams and maybe their lack of defense and people feeling like they're more offensively dominating uh, and we haven't necessarily uh, to a national championship uh, for them. But uh, I would say then there's kind of that other tier of teams which you know Penn State falls into, Michigan falls into, uh, Michigan State, Wisconsin. Uh, Notre Dame is, is a good example of a team that I throw in that category. Uh, and, and the ACC, you know, you're kind of missing that other team. Miami's probably the next best team uh, in that conference to date, but that's been a resurgence late, you know, of recent, not something that we've seen a while ago. So um, I would say that's kind of the next tier. Then beyond that, you get some other teams that can throw their name into the mix. Maybe they're a group of five teams. UCF, Boise State, uh, some of the teams that I think have proven themselves, um, you know, at that level. But, you know, I don't necessarily know how good they'd be against some of those, those top two-tier teams I mentioned earlier. I think they play them on a consistent level. Uh, so that's kind of that, that next tier of teams that, you know, kind of float in and out or good good teams. You know, Iowa, throw that conversation, maybe Northwestern. Um, you know, USC is probably somewhere between two and three, depending on where they're at right now at this point in time. And, uh, and that you know, that university's uh, situation. And there's you know, your fourth tier, just the bottom of the rug teams. Okay. The teams that are unfortunately just can't help themselves. Okay, okay. So uh, I'm always just, again, interested in the context of how to put Ohio State and the Big Ten in context, right? So there was a lot of talk before the season, Brady, and you know this, about the Big Ten, the Big Ten East in particular. Is the Big Ten East the best division in college football? And then we get into non-conference play, and Wisconsin loses to BYU, and Michigan loses to Notre Dame, and Michigan State loses to Arizona State, and Penn State almost loses to App State. Did that hurt the Big Ten and the Big Ten East in particular, do you think? Did, did the, has the Big Ten taken a step back from preseason thoughts about them, or do you think the Big Ten is still in the conversation among the top conferences? I think the Big Ten East is still looked at that as, as one of the top uh, divisions in all of college football. Okay. I mean, there's, there's, you know, like the SEC West is looking good right now. When you think of, you know, LSU, where they're at after their big one over Miami, Auburn beat Washington, uh, obviously Alabama's, you know, they're in the conversation. Uh, A&M's played everyone tough. So, you know, when, when you're thinking about uh, in some of the top divisions, it's the SEC West, the Big Ten East, uh, even with some of those early losses, I, I still think they're proving themselves now. Uh, and then you go out and look at the Pac-12 North, and, and those are really the three divisions. Because I think when you take into account Washington, Oregon, Stanford, uh, and, and Cal, the way those four teams look out there so far, and they're going to beat each other up. 
Uh, but but they've been kind of proving themselves early on too. So I'd say those are the three divisions, and probably the SEC West has a little bit of an edge just because of those early wins in non-conference play. Okay. So. I know it's so early in the discussion, but we all love this kind of talk, Brady, trying to talk about playoff positioning and that kind of thing. And I know before the Penn State-Ohio State game, I had been saying to people that I think to try to look at Penn State-Ohio State as a play-in game for the playoff is too early. You don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. Other teams always lose. There's always upsets you don't see coming. But generally, Brady, as we stand here now, the Big Ten did not make the playoff last year. Should Big Ten fans have any worry about that? Was that a one-year blip? Or is there a world, and a a million things could happen, is there a world where the Big Ten does not get a playoff team again this year? I would find that hard to believe unless Ohio State struggles down the stretch with Michigan, Michigan State, which, you know, Mark Antonio, regardless of what that season looks like, they typically play Ohio State tough. We had that game last year. Um, that didn't end up being the case, but that to me was an outlier compared to what that rivalry usually looks like. Um, that, you know, as long as Ohio State finishes strong, I don't think they're going to have an issue. Now, the interesting thing would be if Ohio State goes undefeated to the Big Ten Championship and would happen to play poorly versus Wisconsin, let's just say, and lose, you know, do they still get in being a, you know, non conference champ with that being their only loss? Right. That would be an interesting scenario, and that would be one that I don't really see likely or happening just based on seeing a little bit of Wisconsin so far this year and losing to a BYU team that I just watched get trounced uh, by University of Washington. But I think the wild card's this. If Notre Dame wins out, all of a sudden they kind of become that team outside of the Power Five conferences where you're jockeying for position. And if you look at their resume, you know, beating Michigan to start off with, um, recently beating Stanford, who was – you know, both teams, I think, were top 15. Virginia Tech will probably end up ranked uh, by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. USC will be ranked by the end of the season. You start kind of chalking up their strength of schedule. If they go undefeated, I think it would be hard to keep them out at this point, at least the way that they look. Um, so that's a team that could potentially contend. And then, obviously, you're looking at, um, you know, maybe two teams in the SEC like we've seen in the past. If we look at Georgia and Alabama both being by far and away two of the best teams, I, I had a chance to speak with, one of the uh, college football playoff committee members, a former member, I should say, recently. And, and his whole thing, when I kind of questioned about the AP polls and what factors into it was, you know, his, his response was, we really just tried to select what we believe are the four best teams to play off for the national championship. That was what we felt was the biggest thing. Whether you call that the eyeball test, however you go about doing it, um, that was you know part of the process of how we went about doing it. Okay. It's so interesting. I mean, I, I would be. It would be a very difficult scenario for me as well to, to to see a world where the Big Ten doesn't get in. When you have when you have people talking about the Big Ten East like this, and Wisconsin had a lot of preseason uh, props, and then to not have a Big Ten team in, I just think would have something really strange would have to happen. Um, again, context on this, Brady. I'm I'm curious about this. I've been writing and talking a lot this week about how much Urban Meyer has sort of had to go away from his philosophy this year by playing Dwayne Haskins, who is accurate, who has a big arm, who is a great thrower, but is just not a runner. He's just not. And Urban Meyer has had that his whole career at the quarterback position. In general, Brady, what is your view on coaches who have tendencies, who maybe get in a situation where... They've got to change what they're used to doing. Do most coaches do that? 
Do you think some coaches are reluctant to change philosophically? Or do you have to find a way to fit your scheme to your talent? And if you have a great drop-back passer, who cares what you did in the past? you got to fit your system to him. Yeah, that's the, that's the toughest thing, I think, for anyone to do, right? You know, when we have success, we look back at what got us there and we say, well, that's what I need to do again. I need to continue to replicate that. I think it's hard sometimes, especially for older coaches like Urban Meyer, who've had so much success, to say, you know what, we haven't had this before or in the past, which I would say this. I mean, look, Chris Lee was a drop-back quarterback. Yep. You know, similar to Dwayne Haskins, where they won the first national championship. People try to throw Tim Tebow in, the, in that whole mix. That was Chris Lee's team. Yep. Uh, well, it's not that big mistaken. So that was really where he got his first uh, national championship. Uh, but I, I think you got to show growth. You know, Ohio State played TCU earlier this year. You know, Gary Patterson was uh, all about defense, all about running the football and playing uh, more of a knockdown, dragout fight. And at some point, he realized that wasn't going to work anymore. He hired Doug Beecham, he hired Sonny Cumbie. Those guys came with an up tempo offense. And at, at, a, at a relatively old age, uh, in, in coaching standards, was able to change how people viewed TCU, and I think they've been able to be more consistently successful with that approach. And I think that's probably what Urban's realizing with what he has with Dwayne Haskins. And I think anyone who's watched him, uh, you'll come away with two things. One, he he's – I think it's not hyperbole to say he may be and, and probably will go down as the best passer in Ohio State history, even if it's just one season. I think yep. he's that talented. He's got that much savvy and kind of the way he plays the game. Uh, but I'll also say this, you know – you know, he may not be a runner, but he sure is capable. I mean, when I watch him run up in the pocket, and when I watch him move a little bit, uh, he's just as capable as any other athletic quarterback. He may not be as dynamic, and he might not take one from the house from 50 yards out, but he is good enough to pick up some first downs and to threaten you with his legs. And with his passing ability, that's all you need to be able to do. I don't want to get too far ahead, but people are talking about this, and, and you know this, Brady, and you're someone who understands this intimately. I mean, as a, not many people are quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Just what you've seen so far of Dwayne Haskins, what does he look like to you at the next level? An NFL pocket passer who's got athleticism that you have to have in today's game at that level to make guys miss to move around and to make throws in the pocket. I mean, let's just take the touchdown pass last week, for example, to Benjamin Victor. Yep. Um, You know, play action pass set, a deep set, and, you know, he's got the wherewithal to step up and really almost run up into the pocket and then put his feet in the ground and make an accurate enough throw to a guy coming across the field, across his own body, uh, to end up leading to a big-time score, right, to get him within one score. I mean, that, to me, is a huge play. And I think a lot of people at the next level are probably watching him thinking, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, this kid right now uh, is technically flawless. If you watch the way he steps up in the pocket, he negotiates the pocket, uh, it's, it's going to translate very well to the next level. He's already controlling things in the line of scrimmage. He's good with his eyes as far as what he sees from the defense and where he's going with the football. Um, when you're watching him, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot you're taking away and saying, this guy needs to work on. I mean, he is that special this early on. Um, and, and it almost leads you to, you to wonder what this Ohio State team last year would have looked like if he was their quarterback only because he is so efficient in the passing game and because they're so talented on the outside, it, it really plays to the strengths of this football team. It's crazy. I've said this many times, Brady. I think last year it's possible that JT Barrett simultaneously was the greatest quarterback in Ohio State history and the second best quarterback on his own team. 
that it, I, I think we kind of saw that in the Michigan game, right? Yeah. Like as soon as Dwayne Haskins came in, the offense all of a sudden started moving and jumped around, and and I don't, you know, you can look at Alabama and say right now they're the cream of the crop, and so when you look at the past quarterbacks who've been able to beat them, as much as we want to look at Deshaun Watson and say, well, look how athletic he is. You know what? For as athletic as he is, or dual threat, if you want to throw that tag on him. He hurt them from the pocket. Yep. It was his mobility or athleticism that helped him at times buy more time or make some plays, but it was still being lethal from the pocket, and that still is going to win you football games at this level. And I've wondered that in the past, that like, how do you beat Saban, right? How do you beat Saban in that defense, and, you know... It, is it the dual threat broken play guy? But you know what? Like, there's so many dual threat guys around now. To me, this does feel like Ohio State's going to have a chance at Alabama again sometime in in, in this urban Saban era. But this feels like maybe this is their shot because they have this kind of passer to threaten down the field that they don't usually have. And as you just said, maybe that is the best way. That Alabama is tough, but maybe that's the best way to have a shot against them is have a guy like Dwayne Haskins. You know, it's funny, yeah, he'll throw them down the field, but you know who will also make them do? He'll make them cover the entire field because he finds his checkdowns, he finds the swings, you know, and he does it in the proper timing. It's not like it's too late when he's going to football there. That's what's so impressive about him is he utilizes the entire field, and that's all you got to do. When, when you look at, for example, a guy like Patrick Mahomes at the NFL level, and the reason why he's been so successful is nine different guys have got touchdown passes from him. He's spreading the football around like that, and he's got this big arm, you know, similar to Dwayne. Dwayne's got a big arm. He's got a lot of zip on the football. And, you know, when you're able to spread the football around, you're able to, to utilize the entire field with your reads and progressions, which is rare at the college football level. You watch a lot of film on guys, they're only reading one half the field, and then they're either running or they're throwing the football away. And and he's able to work through his third and fourth progression at times. So, again, I, I, I don't want to necessarily make it seem like he's perfect. Uh, but for, you know, first-year starter, the way he's played so far, uh, he is playing well beyond you know what his experience is at this level. All right, Brady, last one, and and this is impossible. And again, I have I have already written a story along these lines, and it's just one of those things. It's fun to talk about, but there's no right answer. Is there any way that they could have gone away from JT Barrett last year and and gone to Dwayne Haskins? Like I called for it after the Oklahoma game. I felt like that Urban Meyer never really considered it, though. And when you think about what JT Barrett was as a Buckeye and that they still finished fifth in the country last year with him and had a great season, I sort of get the idea that it just was never even considered. You just He just couldn't do it. But do you think the team would have accepted it? Is there a world where, yeah, Ohio State maybe could have done this last year and made Dwayne Haskins their starter in the middle of 2017. I think if Alabama can, can bench if you will, for Tua Tonga-Vailoa, then yes. I think if that's the standard of what we're talking about, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind they could have made that switch if they knew that Dwayne Haskins would play the way he is this season. If that was the case, then yeah, maybe they, they should have made the switch and had you know the ability to. And look, Jalen Hurts, you can make the case was, you know, I know from a career standpoint, everything JT Barrett did, um, when you're talking about, you know, playing at that level, uh, playing the Big Ten and playing the college football level, but Jalen Hurts is about as accomplished, if not more so, right? I mean, he's been to a national championship game, uh, whereas, you know, JT Barrett was, was hurt that season mm-hmm. when the Buckeyes were able to win it. And he might have got them there, and he might have been the Big Ten player of the year, but, you know, again, you know, you're talking about one really, really good player and one player 
who could potentially like surpass him. I don't think it's any different at Alabama right now with Tua Tagovailoa and how he's playing. I mean, you're looking at Tua, who's the Heisman candidate, and I think I think Dwayne's probably the favorite in my opinion at this point, just with the game that he had last week and what he's performed and how he's done. And, and Tua's going to have his opportunity to showcase that. But I don't know how you couldn't watch what Alabama didn't think. Like, why can't we do that? Yeah, it's. I mean, every Ohio State fan, and I wrote it when it happened, when, when Saban did that at halftime, every Ohio State fan immediately thought of Haskins and Barrett. And did Nick Saban just sort of open the door for every coach going forward to make that switch? It, you know, Dabo Swinney just did it with his quarterbacks, but it just felt like... You know, back in the middle of last season, nobody had really done that before. And Urban's such a—he pledges, you know, talks about loyalty and stuff so much. I I understand why he didn't, and it doesn't do Ohio State fans any good to like relive the history. But it's just fascinating to think about because they were—they were the fifth best team in the country, and we thought they were going to get in the playoff with JT. But man, Brady, I—I think they might have—they might have gone to the national championship game last year with Dwayne if he had done this. Yeah, and it's hard to disagree with that based on what we, you know, can see now in hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you know, as much as you want to say like Nick Saban started it, kind of started with Kirby Smart at Georgia. True. I mean, it kind of started when they they benched Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm came in, and, and he kind of took over, and then he ended up being the guy. I mean, we've yep. seen it from other examples before um, that happened kind of earlier, and then you yep. watch how Jake Fromm was able to take him to the college football playoff, and now like you mentioned, Davis winning this year, but it can happen again. I mean, Justin Fields could eventually take over for Jake Fromm. Yep. So. That's kind of the nature of where college football is at at this point. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, I think Dabo did right by Kelly Bryant with the new register rule. Uh, but that, that situation very rarely puts itself out perfectly like that. So, you know, the Alabama, the Georgia, the, the other situations like that around the country will be interesting to watch. It's fascinating stuff, Brady. Thanks so much for your time. We'll look forward to hearing you on the game Saturday. And uh, enjoy your, uh, your day in the horseshoe. Yes, sir. I can't wait. Thank you, Brady. All right, thanks to Brady Quinn for that. Before we get to your questions and our answers, we want to talk about our friends at Minuteman Tickets. MinutemanTickets.com is your place to go when you need tickets for anything. It could be something in Ohio. It could be an Ohio State football game. That's a very good place to go. If you want to go see Ohio State, Indiana on Saturday for homecoming, go to MinutemanTickets.com. They will set you up. If you want to see... Minnesota, the next week, go there. Maybe you want to go see Ohio State at Purdue. Go check them out. They have a national selection, but it's a local company based here in Columbus. They service their Ohio customers to a T. You can buy them without that knot in your stomach that sometimes the internet gives you. My daughter just bought Birkenstock sandals on the internet because she had to dress up for 90s day. And I just said, like, just go in my closet. It's 90s day every day in dad's closet. (laughs) Wear my clothes. She had to buy Birkenstock sandals. She bought it on the internet. Every time my wife buys something on the internet, it makes me nervous. I think, go to the store. They put it in your hand. You walk out. You have it right away. So I get that feeling myself. So I want to go to a place like MinutemanTickets.com where that feeling goes away. Because they stand behind their product. You're not going to have a problem. But if you do, they are going to solve it. Sports, theater, concerts, in Ohio, around the country, any ticket need you have, go to MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Purdue tickets, pretty affordable. Ohio State, tough to get to a game at Ohio Stadium. Yep. We're probably playing, paying triple digits, even when you use Minuteman tickets. Um, Purdue, at the moment, $77. Buy those. 
Yeah. I think that could be a fun game. Produce competitive. It's an interesting stadium. It's a, it's, it's a much homier feel. It's a much smaller stadium. Um, the Purdue fans a lot of times don't come out. I imagine they're coming out a little more this year, but that could be a really fun place to see a game. And they have a train. They have a train horn. You can finally hear what Doug thinks a tornado sounds yeah. like. Just be advised. If you go there, <laughs> don't think a tornado is coming. <laughs> chug it, chug it. All right. What do we have for questions? Okay. Um, I didn't check the email this week. Don't be mad at me. I'm just getting all th- these off Twitter. He's been a little busy. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Um, Greg, uh, Greg C74. What is the proper metric to measure the crappiness of Zach Smith compared to the success of Brian Hartline? So much more of a throwing quarterback, it's hard to quantify. Yeah, oh, the second part of the question says gas or charcoal grill. He says my money is on gas for you guys. Um, gas is easier to work with. I think charcoal tastes better, but I don't know how to work a charcoal grill. I think that's what he's betting on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife works our gas grill because I'm always afraid I'm going to blow my eyebrows off. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thanks for figuring us out, Greg. Yeah. Anyway, uh, proper metric to measure Zach Smith compared to Brian Hartline. Like, is it, I guess he's asking, like, is it fair to give Brian Hartline a ton of credit for what these receivers are doing this year? Or would they have done this anyway? So, again, I just asked one of the receivers very quickly after all this stuff went down, like, just tell me for real, like, what kind of coach was Zach Smith? And he was like, he was great. He loved us. So, um, I think the receivers seem to have some loyalty to, to Zach Smith because they're college kids and you put somebody in a room with them for 20 hours a week plus and they're going to have loyalty to that person. And he recruited them. So um, I think the metric is the feeling in your heart. Yeah. And how do you feel at this moment watching the Ohio State receivers play compared to the previous couple years? And how do you feel in your heart Watching them knowing that their coach is Brian Hartline versus watching them knowing that their coach was Zach Smith. And I don't know how to to define it beyond that. I had questions about Zach Smith's coaching ability um, before this year, regardless of the outside stuff, just on the field production. Urban Meyer, in the midst of all this, I've been – in the midst of everything, I kept listening for football talk in the middle of that because that wasn't the most important thing in the moment, but it is – was going to be the the thing we're going to be talking about at some point. And Urban Meyer very clearly made the point that in 2015, Zach Smith had some trouble doing his job. But he also seemed to make it pretty clear that he thought in 2016 and 2017 he got his stuff together and he was good. So Urban Meyer, to me, did not talk about Zach Smith in a way that was like, yeah, he was going downhill. He talked about it more as in 2015, as the, the, the divorce was becoming finalized and the there was a stretch of incidents then because the whole thing was, what would you know about 2015? That stretch, Urban Meyer admits to, I think, Zach Smith suffering from a job performance standpoint. But then he thought before that he was pretty good, and after that he thought he was good. And there were opportunities in there for him to say, yeah, he lost it. Our receivers haven't been coached properly in three seasons. It was out there for him to say that. He didn't say it. Yeah, I think that's – yeah, I think it's true. I I don't think – I think it's fair to criticize Urban for keeping on assistant coaches who appear to not be very good at their job, but I don't think that Urban Meyer thought Zach Smith was a bad coach. I I think – I agree with that. So – I thought he was a bad coach. Yeah, so did I. Or I, I think 
I think there is something to be said for, and a couple of the receivers have talked about the idea that like Brian Hartline was a pro and that what he says probably carries a little more weight than what Zach Smith says. And maybe that's not fair to any coach who hasn't played the NFL. But I think in this particular case, it's true that, that whatever Brian Hartline is teaching him, and I can't imagine he's teaching them things that are totally different from what they were teached in the previous five or uh, six seasons. Um, I just think it means a little more coming from a guy who was in the NFL and, and, I, and recently in the NFL. I will say this. Larry Johnson never played in the NFL. Yep. No defensive lineman would ever say, well, he never played in the league. Nobody would ever say, well, Mike Vrabel played in the league, so when Larry Johnson got here, I listened to him less. Yep. They like Mike Vrabel. They like Larry Johnson. Kerry Combs never played in the league. Nobody's ever said a word about it. Okay. I think a player explaining in that way is their way of explaining, I just believe in Brian Hartline more. Yep. And maybe that, uh, yes, there's, this guy can show you highlights of here's how I did it in the last decade. But if you're a good coach, you should be able to get that feeling from your players without having played at Ohio State and without having played in the NFL. So to me, if you're a player noticing a difference, admitting to something that is like, hey, it's just – it means a little more, that whether or not you as the player realize it, that to me is you saying, I wasn't 100% getting it from him before because he did not make me believe in him. And Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs and – Luke Fickle, who I think had a was in the NFL for one second. Ryan Day, the very best assistant coaches, the very best head coaches. You know who was not really good at football? Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban Meyer was a walk-on at Cincinnati that basically did nothing. He was really good at baseball. Urban Meyer, not much as a football player. Doesn't matter. Because yep. you believe in him for what he is. And I think perhaps that's some indication that they didn't believe in Zach Smith as much as they believe in Brian Hartline. And it's not just about the NFL. I agree with that. <clears throat> Another Russian bot. Love the I, bot. Who I think is angling to be a co-host. Replace me. Uh, could you talk about the running game? Is it dysfunctional? If it is, why? The offensive line seems decent. Running backs are great. Downfield threat is ever-present. Is it play-calling? Um, yeah, I think it's play-calling. I think, I guess Urban, Urban talked about this last week, just about the difficulty, and they maybe talked about it again this week, the difficulties they have trying to figure out how to run the ball without a running quarterback. And the thing that has stood out against TCU and Penn State in particular is this inside zone play, this tight zone play, play that's been a part of the offense forever, but has always been paired with a quarterback run that makes it all that more difficult to defend because there's two options in the backfield. That doesn't exist anymore. And without that second option, I think that's a really difficult play to run. And they just seem to be running into loaded boxes. Some of it is the interior offensive line is not always blocking great, and I think that needs to improve. But I think it's mostly – it's just it's hard for that to be your fundamental running play when you don't have a quarterback who can pull it on a read option. And there are ways to negate that. One of them is to just not rely on it as much and have more variety in the run game. Part of it is like building RPO stuff off of it, which we see them do sometimes, but not all the time. And I think in the second half against Penn State, when they started hitting a couple bubble screens and then pairing those bubble screens with the inside zone play, you saw the inside zone play pop a little bit. Um, I just think you need to do that all the time. I think it, need, it doesn't need to be a wrinkle. It just like needs to be the play, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's more play calling than anything. They're still feeling things out. I do. I agree. I think the running, the running backs are good, both of them. 
The offensive line is decent and potentially very good, needs to get a little better, but I still don't think they're putting the run game in the best spots yet. While the passing game is more sophisticated than a year ago, it seems like the run game is less sophisticated. Yes. Well, it's it's I guess it's as sophisticated as it's always been. It just needed to be more sophisticated when paired with this passing game. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler Feeney. Urban said that this team hasn't yet played its best game to this point uh, with cupcakes for the next month or so. What does this team have to do to get to the level Urban is referring to? It's a good question. I mean, I think it, it goes back a little bit to the question that was just asked. I would think the two things are steady, consistent run game you can rely on, especially on third down and short yardage when you really need it. Again, are you going to discover that? We spent most of the past previous two years watching them throw it well against cupcakes and wondering, is that real or not? Yeah. So you just don't know. Um, but I would look for the establishment of the run game and then the elimination of big plays defensively, which I still think is is overblown a little bit. Everybody scores these days. But I would not be super enthused if I was an Ohio State coach or an Ohio State fan and like Purdue and Minnesota also got 93-yard touchdowns on Ohio State. Yeah, like the 93-yarders are the ones that are bad, I think. Like Trace McSorley on a QB draw picking up 50 yards like is obviously not great, and Ohio State would tell you it's not acceptable. I think it just happens sometimes. Good players make make plays like that. Um, but they have this year given up the longest running play and the longest passing play in the history of the program, and that's probably not okay. <laughs> so I agree with you. Uh, Jordan Steele. Jordan Steele. Ooh, he has two. I'm just going to pick one. Okay. A lot of, lot of questions along this line this week. Most people picked Ohio State to lose one game this season. Now they are 5-0, and having faced both Penn State and TCU. Who do you think Ohio State is most likely to lose to? He says Maryland is a sneaky good team that is sandwiched between Michigan State and Michigan. That's the one that I thought before the season. As like a, I, I thought they were going to lose to Penn State, and I was wrong about that, obviously. But in terms of like the kind of game that you're talking about, the one that you kind of that's like coming out of nowhere. I thought Maryland because Maryland does have some talent. It's at Maryland. It'll probably be a noon kick, and nobody will be there. And it's between Michigan State and Michigan. So like that that checks a lot of boxes for that kind of game. And running quarterback, right? And running quarterback, yeah. Um, but I'm I mostly think now that it's just not going to happen. What do you think? I think, it, I think if they lose, it'll be to Michigan State or Michigan. It won't be to one of these crappy teams we're playing. Right now, what's your percent chance they go 12-0? It's pretty high. Uh, I don't know, like 80%. Really? Yeah. I don't. I think I might go 60, which is still more than half. But um, Because you think you still think Michigan's... I, yeah, and I'm not really... Yeah, not thinking about... Uh, just thinking about Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, I'm just curious to watch them. Curious to watch them grow, you know... I watched a little bit of Michigan when we were getting ready for the Penn State game. Uh, just like with the Michigan writers I follow, I mean, you just get a sense that um, Michigan still is searching for it. Michigan is still searching for what they should be. Yeah. But I just feel like they have some players. I still feel like they have some players, defensively especially, and – it felt like Shea Patterson had no idea what he was doing early on. Then he kind of found it, and then it feels like now he's struggling again. I'm just waiting for him to just be, like, good. And I still feel like that might be out there. And then I think Michigan might just be good. But it feels like as yeah. much as we're talking about play calling with Ohio State, Michigan's really having some trouble with the play calling and trying to figure out what they really are on offense. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I, th I think it might have been Bill Conley's podcast, podcast, and I played nobody. 
and they were talking about the Michigan Northwestern game, and somebody asked, like, is Michigan sabotaging Shea Patterson on purpose? Because I, I didn't watch the Northwestern game, but I guess in addition to not calling the right place for him, a lot of guys were dropping balls, and the offense around him is not playing all that well. Um, I would, I'm, I find it a little alarming that they're halfway into the season and haven't quite figured out how to use him yet. When you compare that to Ohio State, who is playing a quarterback who is completely opposite of what they normally play, and they seemingly have figured out at least how to use him, they're still figuring out the run game yeah. and that kind of thing. But yeah. I don't know why it's so hard. It looks like Shea Patterson has some skills. It just why? What is up? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. They're making it look hard, and so and then Michigan State. I haven't watched enough. You know, I don't know how much to believe in Lewerke. I almost always feel like. Maybe this is wrong, but it's like I almost think Michigan State is more dangerous in Ohio Stadium. It just feels like when Michigan State has a big game, and I'll look this up before they play Michigan State. When Michigan State like has a big home game, I does not feel like they come through a lot. Yeah, and I feel like they're better off as like the we're going into your place, we're the underdog, nobody believes in, other than like oh my god. We're number 12. We're number 12. Ohio State's number two. They're coming. They're coming. I know him. I know him. (laughs) And I don't think, yeah, that's what everybody, Urban Meyer comes to East Lansing and everybody in East Lansing says, I know him. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Drizzy Gets Busy asks a really good question that like would be actually a great question to ask Urban. My finger has a heartbeat. It's a two-part, it's a two-tweet question. Ohio State had 10 penalties for 105 yards against Penn State. Penalties cost Ohio State points and made it more difficult for them to win. Since Urban took over in 2012, Ohio State ranks third in the conference in penalties. When Urban was at Florida from 2005 to 2010, Florida was first in the SEC in penalties. And I'm assuming he means committing the most penalties. Why is field position so important to Urban Meyer, but penalties are not? Is it due to the lack of discipline by the players, due to poor coaching, or is this just the philosophical approach to games? All right, so you said you're just going to read the tweet to Urban? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Urban, just a quick to, – to be clear, this isn't our question. This is from Drizzy Gets Busy. Yeah. I don't – I think – you've talked about this before. Like penalties born out of aggression, I think he's fine with. Yeah. And that seems to be a lot of what they have. Like they don't – I said it before, maybe before the Penn State game. Like you have not seen a lot of false starts with the offense, a few, but not a ton, not enough that it, I think it's it's alarming. Um, there have been some holding, some pass interference, some more questionable than others, like a face mask. I think he's okay with all. I think any penalty that's born out of a guy just trying to make a play, I think he's fine with. Um, and I don't think like the there have been some unsportsmanlike. I think there were two against Penn State. I think there were. Two against Tulane, I'm sure he's not okay with that. And he was clearly very upset on the sideline against Penn State about some of the penalties they were committing. They had, they had some freshmen on special teams who felt like they were trying to prove themselves yeah. by like being tough guys and like getting in scuffles. Yeah. So he's not okay with that. Like he's not okay with well, I don't know false bravado, whatever you want to call it. But anything anything with a guy just playing hard, I think he's fine with. So I think it's a good question though because it does go back to discipline. And this team has not been all that disciplined, especially on special teams this year. So it, 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 it's a it's a really interesting question. And given the fact that like we're not going to go back and watch every Ohio State penalty from this season or from Urban Meyer's career and figure out what type of penalties they are, this is going to sound like an excuse. But I think one might be aggression. 
that if you play especially in the, in a world now at Ohio State where you're playing press man, maybe you get more pass interference calls than you do when you're playing mm-hmm. cover two or something, right? I don't know if that if the stats would bear that out, but it's like you're on an island. Here comes the ball. Jeffrey Okuda, you can't let this guy catch it. You're trying to be really aggressive, and you got your hands on him too much. Yeah. Maybe that. And then the other thing is, so if you're a bunch of three stars, right, if you're Mark D'Antonio's team and you're three and four stars and you're playing with the big boys, you have to be smart and tough and disciplined and do everything right or you don't have a shot, right? Yep. When you have more talent, I think the natural inclination is to be like, woo, more talent, woo. And like as much as the coaching staff might try to rein that in, it might be harder to rein in. Like this would be a fast – do five-star recruits get more penalties than three-star recruits? Because a five-star recruit is like, what's up? I'm a five-star recruit. <laughs> I don't care if I get a penalty. I'm still going to whoop your butt. And the three-star recruit's like – I'm going to try my best, everybody. So. <laughs> Maybe. That's a good point. It's like it's one of those things that it's like, Urban, how how is it possible that your team, which every year is is a playoff contender, and when you finish fifth in the country, that's a bad season. What's with all the freaking penalties? I think perhaps it's not that the penalties, again, it's, the, it's a reverse read on the situation. It may not be that the penalties are holding back Urban Meyer teams from being better, the penalties might be a reflection of the fact that they're good and they know it. Yeah. Or that they're good and they're pushing the envelope to be as good as possible by being aggressive and having pass rushers and cornerbacks and other people who who are living on the edge. And the edge is where greatness lies. Put it on the video board! <laughs> I think there might be something to that. That is, it, I think it's been drilled into so many people that penalties are bad, that you're never going to convince anybody, and a coach is never going to admit that penalties are good. Yeah. But penalties might be a reflection of a confident, aggressive, talented team. I buy that. I buy that. It's a good way to spin it, anyway. Yeah, I know. It sounds like, <laughs> should I be in crisis PR or what? Yeah. Like, uh, excuse me, sir, all these terrible mistakes. Oh, it's just a sign of a, an aggressive, confident, <laughs> talented company. That's why we constantly are being investigated by the FBI. We're just talented and aggressive. Uh, I like this question from Scott Duda. He says, quarter of the season is over. Which preseason predictions do you want back? And which do you think you definitely have right at the end of the season but don't look obvious yet? And I pulled up our predictions. Oh, can I just say... One that I don't want back. Wisconsin is a fraud. Okay. Well, this is I pulled up. We each did five predictions for Ohio State season. Oh, sorry. But that is also true. Whoop. Uh, I'm going to read yours first. You can tell me if you want any of them back or if you feel <laughs> very confident about them. Oh, my God. Number one was great. Dwayne Haskins will finish with fewer than 70 rushes. He's going to have like eight this year. Yeah. I was all over that, to be fair. Uh, your number two was Austin Mack will have more than 800 receiving yards. Probably want that back. I think you might want that back. Unless he has like a 400-yard game in him. I'll look it up while... uh... Your number three is Luke Farrell will have five touchdown catches. Which I mentioned to his parents when I saw them the other day. Are you excited about that? They, I think, acknowledge the fact that that they had seen that prediction. 
And uh, and I think his dad said something like, "Yeah, I don't know about that. Only five. And I was like, "I love you, Dad. Like that's such a dad thing to say." Does he know his son's a tight end at Ohio State? Yeah. Also, Luke Farrell got like the face mask penalty on yeah. Ohio State's field goal that Urban Meyer after the game was like, "How do you get a face mask penalty on the offense on a field goal try?" You know what I saw tonight? I think I saw this on Bucknuts because they have they they pull in some um, pro football focus numbers every now and then, and the tight end grades have been really poor. It's the worst. It's the lowest graded position on the team. But Luke Farrell has started every game at tight end. Rashad Berry has played more snaps than him. Yeah, like Rashad's thir- like playing a lot. More. He's playing a lot. You know what? Hold on one second. At his current pace, Austin Mack will finish with 892 receiving yards in 13 games. Really? So I don't want it back. Okay, uh, Luke Farrell. I'm okay with Luke. has one touchdown. Do you think he's going? I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that he has one. Uh, <laughs> Because I'm counting them every time they happen, and I'm shouting things in the press box. I think the first time they had one, I said something like, Landis! <laughs> I'll keep it. Ooh, here's a good one. Dwayne Haskins will throw 13 interceptions. I was wrong. He has one. I know. I, I love... I know he has two. He has two. I, I love interceptions. I can't help yeah. it. I love interceptions. The problem is the receivers have been more open than you thought they'd be. Yeah. Uh, and your number five uh, was Ohio State will go 11-1 and and make the playoff. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I still think the loss that we can't explain right this moment could be out there, but I feel very confident in the fact that they're a playoff team. Oh, I grabbed the wrong predictions. For yours? Yeah. Oh, I know what it was. You still have the stats up? I have some stats up. Because one of my predictions was that Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins will... Yeah, here we go. I said they'd each rush for 1,000 yards. I think they're both on pace for that. For real? I think so. Okay. Now I got to look up. I got to look up that. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Hmm. All right. Let me look. I got it here. This is a good podcast, by the way. Boop, boop. Dobbins, Dobbins has 380 and Weber has 350. Really? Yeah. All right. So 380 divided by 5. Times 13. Dobbins is at 988 in a 13-game season. Okay. But they'll have, they'll probably play a 14-game season. Yeah. And Weber is at 910 in a 13-game season. I still feel good about that. So, that, so of course, so a 13-game season is like somehow they're not the Big Ten champion. They only go to a bowl. Yeah. So 14 is probably very likely. So you're going to uh, be right on it. I said Nick Bosa was going to flirt with Vernon Golson's record. Uh, not going to happen because he got hurt. But 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 what was Golson's record? Fourteen and a 14. half. Fourteen. Fourteen. He would have for sure. Oh yeah, he had four and two and a half games. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, I'll give you credit for that one. Tate Martell will have eight rushing touchdowns. Don't think that's going to happen. He's got uh, he's got two. It might happen. They play some bad teams this month. They do. This is a big. This October's a, a big month. Yeah. Eight, was it? Would it be Tate Tober or Octator? Tate Tober. Tate Tober. Okay. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Prince will go to Tree and Buckeye Grove. I don't feel great about that. Yeah. I think I might I want that one back. Oh, and then I our, I forgot the point five was what we think was going to happen. Ohio State goes eleven one and wins and wins a national championship was mine. How do uh, you feel about that, Tua? Yeah. Tua Tagliavoa. I, I need to watch Alabama play a good team. Yep. 
But I don't feel great about winning a national championship. Yeah. But I'll I'll keep I'll keep four of my five. I believe in Luke Farrell. I'll keep them all. <laughs> no, no, no. I can't keep Dwayne Haskins' thirteen interceptions. Yeah. I'll keep the others. Yeah. Um Wild Bear Buckeye asks, uh, should the offensive line be reexamined in Willoughby? Do you think they need to reexamine who plays on the offensive line? You know what? I still need, I feel like I still need to watch the Penn State game again. Um I don't know about Malcolm Pridgen. Feels like Malcolm Pridgen might have had a few rough moments. Um, he did. He did. I think, but I don't. I, I, you also have to have a replacement. Like, I, I mean, yeah. So like, so the replacement, they're they're they were playing Brady Taylor at second team left guard, right? And Brady Taylor had knee surgery, mm-hmm. and Gavin Cup was the second team left guard. I think last time we saw the second team offensive the second line. Second team guards are Wyatt Davis and Gavin Cup. So, and I think like when they come out as a second team unit, Wyatt Davis is on the right side. So mm-hmm. if they were going to play him at left guard, at least it's like he's going to swap his hands and his step and stuff. Yeah. So I just, I mean, Malcolm Pridgen kind of came as a surprise to wind up there because Michael Jordan got moved, and if they had a better guy, they'd play him. So I don't think people are going to come after Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's going to be varying degrees, but I don't think um, I don't think Ohio State's offensive line will be their undoing. I don't think so either. And I my whole prediction for the season was based on that. And I think they're better at this point than I thought they'd be. Um, Nikki Unders, we talked a little bit about this after the game. How can Ohio State effectively insert Tate Martell into games like last Saturday without hurting Haskins' rhythm? And is there any indication that it's something they're working on? I thought about asking the Steve Hellwagon question today on the Big Ten conference call, and I didn't do it. The red zone Because I was slow to press the button to get in. I might ask on Wednesday. I think you should. Um, Throw it out there. The Steve Hellwagon question is when, in 2015, Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts asked Urban Meyer, Randomly one week, have you thought about using JT Barrett as the red zone quarterback? And Urban Meyer was like, uh, yeah, we're going to do it in three days. And it was like, what? And like Steve Hellhagen just like read the minds of the offensive staff. And then they went to Rutgers and JT Barrett scored like eight touchdowns. And Steve Hellhagen made them do it. So the idea of Tate Martell in the red zone. I, I, I had fun with the Tate series. I, I believe in it. I wasn't doing it just for fun. I believe Tate Martell, every game in the fifth series, would make Ohio State a slightly better team than they are right now. But I'm not going to talk about it all year because there's no point to it. By the way, he'll probably almost certainly play the fifth series against Indiana. But he's just never going to do it when it matters. But the idea of Tate Martell in the red zone, I think that would make... Tate Martell on second and goal from the seven, I just think might make some sense. Not on first and second and third. Not punitive. Just a wrinkle. Yeah, I agree. I, I said after the game, I've come around on that. So I'll be interested to see what Urban says. I'll try to ask him if no one else does on Wednesday. But so here's my so. What do you think his answer will be? I think his answer might be that it's tough because of their quarterback situation, which is the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the year. I think if they had three quarterbacks, they knew they could count on. They would be doing it already, and they don't like. I'm not, and that's not me disparaging Matthew Baldwin. I just don't know how healthy he is, and he's a true freshman. Um, but if the situation was different, if they had a sophomore or a second or third year guy who they knew, who has a little bit of experience who they knew could play or knew they could be at least a viable backup to Haskins, I think they might be doing it already. Chug? It's not Chug. I don't know anything about Chug except for he's from New Jersey. Um, G Nilly, 
Do you think Draymond Jones and Damon Arnett are going to be held out or limited this week um, against Indiana? Draymond looked fine. Looked like he practiced on Tuesday. Wasn't in a boot or anything. Uh, and I think the Urban Meyer said on Monday they're both probable. I think sounds like part of Genelli's question is like, would you just if do you think they might hold him out even though they could play because it's Indiana and they want to get him healthy and they don't need him? But I don't think so. I think if they if they think they're good to go, they'll play. I think you might limit them if you like Draymond. I'm sure they'll both start, and if it's apparent in the first quarter that Ohio State's going to roll, maybe you pull them out early. But I expect they'll both play. Um. Let's see. This We kind of talked about this already, but uh, Bob Lee's asked, is there a potential Iowa game on the remaining schedule? I mean, the only ones, I think it's Maryland. But, and, and, and he, I don't he know. He threw out Purdue. I mean, it's like, well, there's only, you know, they're 5-0. and oh, They have seven games left. Two of the teams they play are good. Five aren't good. So which of the five that aren't good – might be an Iowa game. Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, or Maryland. Nebraska can't get out of its own way. I don't think Indiana is going to do anything in Ohio Stadium. I don't think Minnesota is going to do anything. So it's like it's Maryland or Purdue. I mean, I know Maryland or Purdue has whatever first three losses were by eight points, and they just beat Boston College, who was ranked at the time. But I don't know. Like they seem to have a guy who who fits the profile of the thing they've had trouble with, which is ninety three yard touchdowns. Yeah. And Rondale Moore seems like the kind of guy who I don't know. I guess could if he has five ninety three yard touchdowns in that game, Ohio State's in trouble. If he has two, I don't think that's enough. I don't know if Purdue's going to. I don't know that Purdue can stop Ohio State at all. I don't think they can. Uh, how long was your Brady Quinn interview? Like seventeen minutes. Okay. Chris McCormick, who's around longer, Bill Davis or Buckeye Talk? Yeah, I saw that question. <laughs> I saw you. I tagged it, Chris McCormick. Don't mention those two things in the same breath. <laughs> and unless Bill Davis plans to be coaching until he's 80, the answer is Buckeye Talk. Because <laughs> Buckeye Talk ain't going nowhere. Um, Ice. I'm just kidding, Chris. I like you on Twitter. Don't take it personal. Do you think Ohio State's first-round cornerback streak comes to an end this year? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I did, It's not – no offense to Damon Arnett. It's not going to be Damon Arnett. The only one I think it could be is Kendall Sheffield, and it just it has, hasn't, hasn't popped yet. He might blow up the combine. Yeah. But I don't know that his film, even if he goes crazy at the combine and runs a great time, which he's a track guy, he probably will run a great time, mm-hmm. and it seems like he's the kind of guy who is a really – he was a five-star recruit to Alabama. I bet you he's going to do great in agility drills. He might jump really well. Um, but I don't know that his film is first-round film. So it's like Kendall Sheffield might be a guy who's like, Kendall Sheffield, nobody even really knew who he was. He went crazy at the combine. And now he moved himself up to be the 51st pick, which would be awesome. Yeah. But I just don't think it's going to be in the first round. I don't think so either. But I'm trying to think, too. Ohio State has not been really killed on, in the passing game all that much. There's like the two slants that went for long touchdowns and the one deep ball against TCU and the one that Jawan Johnson made a one-handed grab last week. And I'm trying to, like, I don't think Kendall Sheffield has played poorly this year. Not that I, I can't remember specific examples of him messing up that led to something no. important happening. So maybe we're off on him. I don't know. It's always weird to tell with corners. It's like sometimes you're really good and teams don't throw at you. Right. Sometimes you're really good and teams throw at you a lot, like Denzel Ward last year, and it shows how good you are. 
So maybe teams aren't throwing enough at Kendall Sheffield for us to have a strong opinion on that. You know who would be good to ask about this? Kerry Combs. Yeah, just call him up. Get him on the podcast next week. God, I miss that guy. Did and Browns play the Titans this year? No. Oh. I do. I miss it because he talked to us a lot. We haven't talked to Tabor Johnson since the season started. So we'll get a chance. They're starting to rotate the assistant coaches. We get one assistant coach a week. Early on, it was basically Shiano and Ryan Day because uh, Ryan Day was head coach at the time. But like this week, we got Larry Johnson um, and uh, Tony Alford. Last week, we got Alex Grinch. Um, I, I think yeah. we'll maybe start seeing some more guys. Well, we haven't talked to Tabor Johnson, but Tabor Johnson's not going to have the context. I loved when Kerry Combs would say, like, Kerry, can, is Kendall Sheffield potentially a first-round corner? It reminds me of Aaron Conley. Kerry Conley went through the same issues his first year. Look what he became. Kendall Sheffield's going through the same thing right now. <clears throat> and we don't have that context anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing. And I learned... We all learned, you learned, I think. We all, we shared some doubts about Denzel Ward early on. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we thought, this is just a coach who just thinks all his guys are top 15 (laughs) picks. He's just loyal to his guys. And it turns out that Kerry Combs was the only assistant coach in America whose whole room was filled with top 15 picks. Yeah, maybe it is true that he thinks all of his guys are top 15 picks, but all of his guys are top 15 picks. <laughs> so I don't know, like, what's the, again, we're talking a lot about the relationship of things, of like, what, what is a reflection of what? Yeah. Is his loyalty, does his loyalty, would it be there no matter what? Or is he just like, dude, yeah. you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> These guys are awesome. But Kendall Sheffield, these guys, and they're not bad. It's just the standard, the standard could not be higher. Yeah. I think the standard for Ohio State cornerbacks legitimately might be higher than any position group at any school in America. It is right now, I think, yeah. Show me a position group that at one point had three first-rounders in their starting lineup. The yeah. way their three-man rotation in 16 was Ward, Lattimore, and Conley. I don't know who it is. If you've got an answer, tweet us. Do one more question. From Luke A. Davis, he says, What am I missing? I understand some fans will always have unrealistic expectations, but Saturday night's win was one of the most satisfying I can remember outside of beating Alabama in 2014. That's the kind of win that serves as a springboard for the season. Did we talk about this after the game? Like people, not like not poo-pooing the loss, but like still maybe not feeling as good as they should feel coming out of that game? Like being worried about the things that went wrong along the way. Yeah, instead of being excited about the fact that they won and... Beat a good team on the road? I think perhaps like the squeaky wheel on this gets a little attention that, you know, there's a couple people that tweet you. I got one email in particular that I was like, what are you talking about? Like they were like, you see the Buckeyes through scarlet rose colored glasses. I was like, they beat Penn State on the road. Like, what are you talking about? So I think there are just some people who are worried and maybe they stick out to us. But I think along the way, were we not just a little surprised in general that there was really any of that? Like, we just thought it might just be like, woo, Buckeyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, I think, like, the whole season it's been like that. And it's fine when you're playing crappy teams and you don't know what's real and what's not. But I thought we got some of what's real against TCU and, and got more of what's real against Penn State. And people seemed hesitant to grab onto that. And I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take. I guess it'll just take the end of the season if they're winning the national championship or not. But And I still think it's some, 
lack of realization by people of, of the quality of the Big Ten. Even though we write about it a lot in the preseason, all the coaches talk about it. Urban Meyer has talked about it a lot the last three or four years, how much better this league is than when he first got here. And we all know that Urban Meyer had a lot to do with that. It raised the level of recruiting, raised the level of competition, raised the expectation to a large degree, brought the Big Ten into modern times. No more gentlemen's agreement, no more whatever. It's just hardcore, get the best players, do what it takes to be great. Yep. And that's where this league is right now. And so when you live in that world, that world is hard to win in. And it is harder to win in than back in the day when Jim Tressel could roll Troy Smith and Terrell Pryor and guys out there who were just better than everybody else. Sometimes now the other guys are pretty good. Miles Sanders is pretty good. I can't remember what the reaction was last year when they beat Penn State. Obviously, before they played Iowa. But weren't people feeling pretty good last year after they beat Penn State by a point? Yeah, maybe. Because the passing game sort of came alive in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I wrote that JT Barrett was a Heisman Trophy contender and was built to win in the playoff. Whoops. Well, you know, they would have gotten there. Maybe they would have been. He threw four picks the next week. I know. It's because you read your story. <laughs> rat poison. You were rat poison to his Heisman Trophy yeah. campaign. Yeah. Um, all right, so a lot of other people had other questions about Bill and the future of the pod and all that. So we have one more. So we'll do this next week. If you had questions about personnel issues, <laughs> we'll deal with them a little bit next week, perhaps. Yeah. And we'll let Bill say a tearful farewell. You're going to miss I my might actually, I might actually cry. See, that's the thing. You're a teddy bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what Leah loves about you. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. You may come just sit in my basement <laughs> anytime you want. If you miss the smell of farts. And you should see the crap. I'll take a picture of my floor sometime. It's just piled with crap. And I was like, man, why is my basement getting messier? And it's because instead of one week of football crap, there's five weeks. I just get like my box. Two different teams, too. I get my box score and I come in here and I throw it on the ground. There's an Indiana basketball box score over there. <laughs> Something about a book about killing Abraham Lincoln. There's an AT&T stadium field access pass. It's a mess. It's embarrassing. It's a sign of genius, they say. What is that? I don't know. I guess this is from the TCU game, but I don't remember seeing this. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Media field access, who knows? All right, so listen. We didn't get to reviews this week. We'll get to reviews next week because next week will be the last round of good reviews for a while. <laughs> and then we're going to have a month of reviews that are along the lines of Doug is even more annoying now than usual now that it's just him screaming into the void for two hours. So I know it's coming. And I'm ready for it. But I'm not going anywhere. And Buckeye Talk is not going anywhere either. So. Thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. Again, follow us at BillLandis25, at Douglay Maurice. Read us at Cleveland.com slash OSU. Four o'clock Saturday, Indiana at Ohio State. Uh, we will have a bunch more stories this week leading up to that. Of course, coverage on Saturday, more in the days after. Uh, it's going to be an interesting month. And so, like, on the podcast, this is, like, the month where we're going to get into some weird stuff. Um, I will tell you that I have a plan. We're going to do a Haskins extravaganza uh, at some point when I'm searching for things after Landis is gone. We're going to get a bunch of people on here to talk about Dwayne Haskins because that dude is interesting. 
Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to miss that. Yeah. Maybe but, I could be one of the people you call. That could be. But then I'll just listen. I don't want to say anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But we'll keep it going. We appreciate you guys listening uh, no matter what. So um, we will see you next week one last time for Bill Landis. But we still have the postgame pod. So we'll have postgame we have Indiana. three, technically, yeah. <coughs> postgame Indiana. You'll have to decide which one is the crying one. You can cry at all three, or if you want to designate a crying podcast. I'll cry Indiana postgame, but probably just because I'll be sad that P.J. Fleck is leaving. Oh. Yeah, for the last one. So the Minnesota postgame will be the final, final one. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll be rowing your boat off into the sunset with him. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, as always, to you guys. Uh, for Bill Landis and Doug Maurice. that was Buckeye